Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Renoy, and this is one of our other episodes where we are being joined by one of our fabulous Therapy Reimagined 2020 virtual conference speakers. Today, we are joined by Dr. Sonia Lott, and she's going to be speaking at our conference about cultivating cultural humility through self-compassion and Over the last several months, the discussions around race and racial dynamics and even the discussions we've had here on the podcast have weighed very heavily on a lot of people. And being able to talk about the dynamics with that sense of self-compassion is something I'm really looking forward to. And today we are talking about the multicultural approach to therapy because cramming everybody into single little boxes just doesn't seem to be working anymore. So thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of your wisdom with us. Thank you. It's my joy to be here. So Sonia, you and I have started getting to know each other and I am so excited you're here with us and I just so value our uh, new friendship. Yes. The first question we ask everyone is, who are you and what are you putting out into the world? Oh, I am Sonia Lott, and I am a 60-year-old African-American cisgender bisexual woman who's fairly able-bodied and pretty spiritual. And what I'm putting out in the world is a message around the importance of us all doing our own work and being the most authentic um, that we possibly can, and particularly as therapists here to do our own healing first and then heal others as best as we are able to. So we're going to jump right into this. We start a lot of our episodes as a learning point to help people from making the same mistakes that other therapists have been making. So (laughs) what... Uh do you find that a lot of therapists get wrong about approaching therapy from a multicultural approach? I think one of the most common things that therapists get wrong is that a multicultural approach has only to do with race and or ethnicity, that they don't appreciate that it has to do with all of the cultural identities that we all have, whether we name them or not. Race might be more salient for one 60-year-old Black woman and not for another. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the woman might be more salient and she may be more connected to that. Age might be a more important factor. So I think that's one thing that many therapists get wrong, that we're just talking about race and or ethnicity. 
And another thing that I think therapists get wrong about a multicultural approach is that we think it has to do more with them, not us, um, particularly if we're sitting in dominance around in, in privilege around a particular identity. For example, as a cisgender woman, if I were thinking that understanding that the whole issue around being trans is what I need to know about them, Mm. Um, then that's a problem. I need to know, I need to be aware of the privileges that I'm sitting in and how I've been socialized to believe that gender, for example, is a binary concept that is consistent with whatever your genitalia is. Yeah. And then if I can just add one more thing (laughs) to that, (laughs) I think that we assume that our lived experiences make us uh, multiculturally competent, if you will. We know everything we need to know. You know, my best friends are non-binary or, you know, my husband is from Iran or uh, my mom's bisexual or I've worked with Black people before. And it's so much more than our lived experience. We have 50 years of scholarly work in this field called multicultural psychology to um, help us to see beyond our lived experiences. For our listeners who are wanting to broaden out the approach from kind of a cultural competence lens or even, you know, kind of doing some of these things where it's lived experience or it's, you know, what I know or those kinds of things are sitting in privilege or dominance in the room let's step back to the bigger picture of, of kind of what a multicultural orientation is, because I think that's so logical. You sent us an article and we'll put that in the show notes for our listeners that, that really digs deeply into this, but in reading it, it made so much sense to me, but I think it's not necessarily how it's frequently talked about. So maybe you can start with kind of what is a multicultural orientation. It's a way of being which is a theme at this year's Therapy Reimagined conference. Yes, um, it is. <laughs> that it's a way of the therapist thinking about themselves and all of the people that they're working with and really about the world, all of us in the world. So I think of it as like the umbrella that we carry along the journey of, quote, multicultural competence. The multicultural orientation has like three components of which cultural humility is a foundation. And I'll come back to what that means in just a second. Mm -hmm. But it also includes the comfort in, uh, well, it includes recognizing cultural opportunities, if you will. Yes. And it's important to, if a client brings something to you, and Kurt and Katie, you all talked about this in the Allies Verb podcast, like if a client brings something to you, having the cultural comfort, which is the third component, to be able to say, well, I really hear you on that. I understand that. But is that something you want to talk with me about? Hmm. You know, giving clients the invitation and being comfortable with it. Or if something comes up, you misstep, for example. Of course, all microaggressions are unintended, but one slips out and the client reacts to that, that we can have the comfort in staying present with the client and repairing that hearing how they received it and being able to work at trying to repair that. So that's what a multicultural orientation is. It's a way of being, and you can't be that with your clients if you're not that all the time. You know, it's not something that we can turn on and off. So it's sort of the way of being that allows you to be open to the whole set of multicultural competencies, if you will, that our mental health professional organizations offer us. 
You brought up the idea around cultural humility, which mm-hmm. I think is something that unfortunately has been way too recent as far as a discussion of how therapists should be. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, even as, you know, when I was in grad school, looking at around 15 years ago now, there would this idea wasn't really even being pushed yet. So this is something that seems kind of obvious once you actually talk about what it means. And I think that the shift has gone from this idea of being culturally competent, needing to know Mm -hmm. everything about each culture that comes into your office and still sitting in that expert position as the therapist to Mm -hmm. being comfortable as I understand it uh, of cultural humility of being comfortable with not knowing and about allowing for a client's stories to unfold. Am I understanding this correctly? That's true. And thank you, Claire, for that question, because I said I was going to explain <laughs> what really was and just went on to, you know, just totally blanked on that. So yeah, the cultural humility itself, the organizing virtue as it's referred to in the article is, is a two part. It's an intrapersonal and an interpersonal component. And the intrapersonal piece, the within part, is being aware of who you are and what your limitations are and, you know, where you sit with privilege and where you sit with marginalization and what you're doing, way of being, what you're doing about that, you know? So that's the first part. And the other part is being other-oriented, putting the needs of the people, in this case, the client that you're sitting with, in front of yours. It requires letting go, being aware of power you have, no matter what your cultural uh, identities are, because we sit in the other chair or the couch, we have power that our clients who come to us for healing don't have. So it's relinquishing that sense of power that we have as therapists, and then also with whatever cultural identities that we have. Whether or not they're salient to us, we need to be aware that the way that our clients see us is equally as important, if not more important than how we see ourselves. So that's the piece that gets challenging for us as therapists, because we're trained that we have the answers, you know, that we lead the way, if you will, that uh, we're the experts, you know? And so it's difficult sometimes with our clients to relinquish or to share that. It's really a power sharing. I love that because it's so collaborative. And for me, it feels more organic because when I was trained like Kurt, but longer ago, it was definitely cultural competence. It was, you need to know and, and, you know, don't, don't uh, kind of don't let them see you sweat, you know, like it's, it's one of those things where there was, there was a lack of authenticity there and a, a, kind of kind of what Kurt nodded to at the very beginning, kind of this putting people into boxes. And so if I'm working with you, Sonia, like you said, maybe I'm studying what it means to be an African-American. Maybe I'm studying what it means to be 60. You know, like it's not, let me look at all the intersection of everything that makes you you and also not looking at the uniqueness Mm -hmm. that is you. Mm -hmm. And to me, being able to be humble in that and just saying, who are you and how do you move through the world? What are your values? What can I find from you? Like being able to actually just explore you versus having to know everything. Like I need to be, have an awareness, mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> but That's being right. able to be present with you in a place of humility is really interesting. And I think the, the things that really struck me in the article you sent to us was this idea of the opposite is kind of getting into that 
egotistical or kind of an ego driven stance or a defensive stance where I, I have to be the expert on you or I have to, you know, if there is something about me that's coming up, I'm, I have to deny it or those kinds of things. Like instead just being very present in the room to the experience mm -hmm. and being a person focused on my client, but also being aware of what I bring to the room. It's, it's just, it's it, right. it makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. And I like how you said, who are you? Actually, that's uh, uh, for my uh, two live upcoming live webinars. Um, yeah one focusing our, on our own racial and cultural identity, the photograph that I chose to accompany the posting is just that, who are you? Yeah. And so it's equally important to want to know who our clients are as individuals, but we can't do that if we're, we can't really receive that unless we're doing the who are you for ourselves all the yeah. time. Who are yeah. we in this moment? Who are we becoming? You know, because we're, we're a work in progress all the time, you know, sure. whether we are aware of it or not. So, yeah, that who are you is such an important question. And I feel like every experience is a multicultural experience because all if you take all the identities that we have, the ones that we claim or that, again, are salient to us and what other people are seeing in us, you know, like it's common for white people not to think about being white. But I know you too know this, but mm -hmm. you better believe people of color are seeing you as white. Yeah. You yeah. know, <laughs> and so even if it's not an identity that's salient to you, other people are seeing it, but you need to know who you are, A, to yourself for the ones that are salient to you, as well as how other people are perceiving you. So when you're doing that work in the moment, who you are and who you're becoming, it's an ongoing thing. And it's the same thing with our clients. We are, when we put together all of our experience of privilege and marginalization and the meaning that we each give it uniquely, even if there was somebody on this podcast with us who identified exactly in the way that I did at the beginning, we would still, it would still be a multicultural exchange. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that who are you for all of us is so important all the time. Thrizer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thrizer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end -end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. That just sounds like a lot of work to keep doing that all the time. <laughs> uh, it, because this is, and I say that jokingly is this seems to come up uh, in a number of the episodes that we've had over the last couple of months of, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I'll give credit to Dr. Daryl Chow who talks about the clinicians who just kind of want to reach a certain point in their career and then just right. kind of coast. But yeah, 
you're saying that this is an ongoing process. I have mm-hmm. to imagine that this is only one of the obstacles that clinicians have <laughs> in developing a multicultural <laughs> orientation. It's just like, it's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I want to say I have a practice of listening when I'm invited um, to a, you know, to be a guest in a podcast, I listen to um, episodes of the podcast and, you know, particularly the ones that are relevant to what I'm talking about, but also to get to know the host or host. And in this case, that was so valuable because, Kurt, I know exactly where you are in your openness and your commitment to a multicultural <laughs> orientation. <laughs> but I also know now your humor from having listened. So I can stay open. I was able to stay open. <laughs> What She's you basically say? saying you're rude, but I understand where you're no, coming no, from. No, no. <laughs> your, your rudeness has a point because I know you. <laughs> I get you. No, no, no. Yeah. It's not okay, rude I, I, I'll I, accept that. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? That's all true. That's what people say, that it's too much work. And I just sent an article to a very good friend of mine who, after 31 years of sisterhood, she's a white female who lives up what I used to call Wisconsin and they call Wisconsin. Um, (laughs) And um, we're just starting really after 31 years of sisterhood to have these really deep, hard conversations together Mm. and which we're both really grateful for, but she, she's reading right white fragility with a group of people. And she asked if I would send her a copy of an article that I mentioned to her and it's about white fatigue. And in the study, they're making the, the the researchers are making a distinction between white fragility. It's just too hard. And, <laughs> and white fatigue, the people who are staying in and doing the work, the fatigue mm-hmm. that comes with that. And for people of color, for example, or people with any marginalized identity, there's fatigue all the time. And one trying to push back the trauma of daily living based on the microaggressions that happen, particularly based on color and our gender, because those are things that you can't really hide, right? Sure. Not that people are wanting to hide, but when you walk in the room, you're announcing, you know, I'm still brown today. I'm still a woman, you know? And so we're busy trying to fend all that off, and that takes a lot of energy. And then we don't want to have to do any more work. We want to, those of us with marginalized experience, oftentimes, we want to just lean into, you know, I'm living this. Do, do I have to do more, too? This yeah. is traumatizing and fatiguing. But it's in our best interest to recognize, to lean into the places where we have marginalization, learn more about how we can dismantle the systems that perpetuate that marginalization and also find the power in understanding other people who too are marginalized, you know, and how we can show up as allies in the ways still where we have privilege. There are very few people who sit totally in privilege or totally in marginalization. Sure. Um, There's usually one area where we have, you know, that gives us both. So it is a lot of work. And so when you do have privilege in whatever area, your privilege comes with an opt-out card. Yes. And you get to opt out of the process anytime it gets too hard. And that's part of the challenge in, in getting people to see the value in doing this work. Because I always say that, that there's an inside joke here, and it's that you're not doing this work for them. You're doing this work for you. Yeah. Because you get to transform yourself, you know, and you get to live from a more authentic place. 
the idea of white fatigue and just kind of fatigue in general, that really resonates with me. I'd love to have that article and maybe we can also sure. share that in the show notes. Mm -hmm. But this idea that when you're doing the work and you're feeling that fatigue, that that is part of the process because it is exhausting to, to be aware, to be doing the work. And I think the fatigue that marginalized communities are feeling is they can't opt out of it. Right. <laughs> so I think that there's that, that idea of the fatigue and the, the potential desire to opt out the recognition about the opt out. And then also where we can't opt out of marginalization. Mm -hmm. I think with that, and, and this is just a short side note, but with that, it seems like when we recognize that this is fatigue, that we then show compassion for ourselves, that we are able to provide sure. ourselves with some resources and resilience by mm -hmm. actually maybe not opting out, but sitting in quiet, you know, kind of because a lot of these things happen in relationship, right? So right, if we can right. take some moments to ourselves, it seems like that would be a way that we could potentially move into that space of, of rejuvenating, regenerating our, mm -hmm. our resources, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so to me, being able to identify a real pathway toward fully doing this work and, and having a multicultural orientation requires more than just who am I and how does my client perceive me and how do I perceive myself? Right. Who is my client? How do I ask those questions? It right. seems like there's also potentially a self-care component that Absolutely. is required. Mm -hmm. And also it's more than what, what's a good book to read. Yes. Here, and, and I promise <laughs> I'll come back to the self-care piece because that's yeah. what my presentation at the therapy reimagined conference is about self-compassion. It's you know, nice. form of self-care with cultural humility. But I just wanted to say that so many people now are saying, well, I don't know what to do. Can you tell me a good book to read? You know, this is a felt process. It's an experiential one. Mm -hmm. um, and there are no easy answers. There's no quick fix. And you can't get, it's like we tell our clients about anything they come to us with. We can't heal what we don't feel, you know. So this is a messy, long-term <laughs> fatiguing process for all of us when we begin to see with new eyes. And it is more than just who am I and who are you? It's so much more than that. You know, the whole thing of cultural humility requires us to see ourselves as human and to sit with that. And what does it mean to not have all the answers? <clears throat> I Well, I have a PhD. I don't know about you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and to to sit with the truth that we can't, I mean, it's not even possible to know everything about anything, you know, and those of us who are mental health professionals, and we know a lot about mental health, but while we were busy getting our graduate degrees, the rest of the world was on learning something else, you know, mm -hmm. so we all have strengths and weaknesses, and it's a truth, but still, because we're talking about our sense of self, our ego, that all these identities have to do with our sense of self. It's hard work to look at the fragility that exists within us as human beings, the imperfection that in our perfection, if you will. So that's the hardest part, you know, that cultural humility. And that's why it's so critical to having a multicultural orientation and opening up to trying to take in as much of the learning as you can around the systems and how they perpetuate marginalization and offer privilege and understanding ways that we can advocate and all of that, you know? So there is a really large self-component part to doing this work. 
you know, to transforming ourselves again, as I um, like to talk about it. There's such a vulnerability in that mm-hmm. because I think there's, there's a requirement to have knowledge, but also sitting in the place of not knowing of being imperfect. I think at least for me, it's really tough. <laughs> like I want to know, I want to, I want to, I want to avoid messy interactions and you just can't right in right. this. And, and That's so right. it's, it's being so present to my experience and recognizing that what my felt experience is may be irrelevant and most likely is irrelevant to my client. Mm-hmm. You know, recognizing that even though I may have self-esteem concerns that day or feeling very marginalized in whatever way based on on my own identities, that I still sit very much in a position of power and that may be impacting my client while I'm still feeling very low. And and so it's mm-hmm. it's really having to take this broad view and continue to to reassess and and be present, but also observing mm-hmm. and making That's sure right. that that I'm I'm recognizing what's actually in the room, not just what I'm feeling. That's right. But as it relates to self-care, if I can just talk about that yes, for a yes. few minutes. The whole idea of self-compassion, and this is a Kristen Ness version of self-compassion, which I really appreciate. I think it's essential to staying in this journey. And so she talks about self-compassion as having three components. We like, you know, numbers, three three components for uh, multicultural orientation, three components for <laughs> self-compassion. <laughs> But it involves shared humanity, mindfulness, and I'll come back to these, and loving kindness. So, um, Kurt, I heard you, I remember um, in the, you all, and, and Katie in the Ally is a Verb talking about the uh, therapist neglect and just saying, go meditate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I want to say that mindfulness, in the way that I'm going to define it, is crucial to this, that practice is crucial to this work of cultivating cultural humility. And it is being present to whatever you're feeling when you're feeling it without judgment. Mm -hmm. If there is judgment, you're not judging yourself about just judging, having judged yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm really good at that. I judge myself for judging myself. And then I judge myself for judging myself for judging myself. And it's just this endless loop of judgment. It's, it's horrible. So it's a practice, okay? It's a practice of trying to allow our feelings to come and go, no matter how bizarre or how painful they may be. And I want to emphasize, it is a practice over time. Mm-hmm. You know, so that helps us to sit with our, oh, I should have said it this way, or I, I wonder if the client's thinking that I said, mm-hmm. meant this when I meant that, and oh, I can never get it right kind of thing. So it's a practice over time that we're caring for ourselves and recognizing our the second, the other, one of the other components is share humanity. Everybody messes up. This whole thing is messy work, okay? It's not about getting it right. It's about staying on the path of trying to understand what we need to understand to heal, repair, whatever, as it comes up on the journey, you know? And the other thing is the loving kindness. And I know some people, you know, outside of, uh, you know, these spiritual bubbles that we can find ourselves in, myself included on occasion, that, you know, that's so, I don't know, so icky, sweet, but it's about offering to yourself what you would offer to somebody else. If one of your colleagues came and said, oh my God, I think I just really messed up. You know, the client is an Asian immigrant, a female, and I said uh, something, something, whatever. We would likely say, oh, wow, 
God, I can understand how you feel really bad about that. But, you know, we all mess up. Can we talk about what you can do to, to, you know, try to repair that? You know, like, let's take some deep breaths together. It's the same thing that we need to offer to ourselves. The acceptance, the um, loving kindness, the unconditional regard that we give to other people and hope people are giving to us. And so that's a practice, you know, that we have to commit to over time. So some people feel like that self-care is exhausting too. (laughs) (laughs) It's too much. I can't do it. But again, it's not just for your clients. It's not just to make a living. It's to transform your way of being period, that benefits you and everybody who you're in relationship with. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. I do want to go to one of the questions that we sent okay. you that okay. kind of shifts the subject back here a little bit. And okay. before we were on the, before we were recording today, uh, Sonia had asked me, what does this question mean? <laughs> and so the question that I had sent over to her, is, yeah, how, do, how do the structures of the therapy profession really inhibit this multicultural approach? And Sonia's like, what does this mean? And I go, well, you know, why does, why is therapy still so white? Like, what what is the structures of, of our profession that stops us from having these conversations that stops us from going through our own racial identities and being able to create the space for these conversations and then create the space for ourselves? Why, why can't the profession get this right? Because they don't have to. It's Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. That's it. They don't have to. Um, you know, like I'm really struck by the number of therapists that I talk to who say, well, I don't know, you know, what to do, or I don't know, you know, what I need to learn. Is there a book that I can read? And we have 50 years of theory and peer-reviewed journal re- knowledge available to us you know, on every aspect of anything related to any cultural component. And so that's been there for over 50 years. But there's a twofold piece in that. Like the uh, mental health organizations now have since like 2002, almost 20 years, have allowed these documents to be put on websites saying, okay, here's what you're supposed to do. Because the communities, primarily people of color, not limited to, but primarily people have co- of color, have created this quote movement, the multicultural psychology movement from the early 70s, and brought it to where it is. So in saying this is important, we need to do this, the dominant group, right, people said, okay, we'll say that this is what you have to do and we'll incorporate it into the ethical standards, but <laughs> all right. And so nothing happens. It's, from my point of view, it's the not seeing it as important, particularly as it relates to race and ethnicity, that it's really not that big a deal, but we'll let you all say 
that it is. So there's not the priority, particularly around race and ethnicity and the, you know, the sense that that's really what it's all about. White therapists and educators are not trained. They haven't done their own work. So they can't really lead these discussions around to be present to all that comes up when we're talking about all of these different identities. More than 50% of therapists still report that they know very little about what it means to be anything other than cisgender. You know, the binary about, you know, um, the either or, male or female, and that's all there is, and all of that. So there's a lack of knowledge and a lack of an awareness of needing to, or really just being too tired, not wanting to do the work. I'm not getting paid to do this, you know? So that's a piece. And the, uh, the, the other piece is, again, that these are people of color who have led this charge, if you will, More recently, there are more people, white people who have come into the fold and are doing a lot of the research and making significant contributions as well. But it's about the perspective that is this really necessary? It's still that sense of us versus them, that we just learn some stereotypes about them and just keep it moving. We don't have to do our own work. There's no work for us to do. So that's why. You know, people who do research, people of color who do research in multicultural anything are less likely to be promoted. It's not, it's, you know, uh, tenured. It's seen as being less valuable academically, you know, much like in the workplace. If you do diversity work, you're more likely people of color and women cross, you know, racial identities are seen as they're, they're, they're uh, seen as less competent. So, you know. But I said all that, but I could have just said because I don't have to, because that's really, <laughs> that's really the truth. That really is yeah. the truth. Oh, that frustrates me so much. I'm going to buy your book. Would you write it called Because They Don't Have To? <laughs> you know what? Yeah, and I'm going to have to thank you. I'm going to have to give you proceeds for that because you gave me a good, t- you gave me the title. But, you know, that's why I created my company, SimSight, Continuing Education and Multicultural Psychology. We have a whole set of guidelines from the APA about what we're supposed to do in our continuing ed training, and nobody does it. So that's why I created my company, and it's exclusive to just that. Where can people find that company online? Oh, my. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, thanks for asking, Kurt. It's uh, SimPsych.com, C-E-M-P. S-Y-C-H.com. And I have two live webinars coming up that I just posted. And I want to offer your listeners a discount if they would like to sign up for those that are currently available and any upcoming ones to get a 10% discount off of any, uh, either the webinars or anything upcoming in the next few months. The coupon code is 10, the number 10, T-E-N. MTSG for Modern Therapist uh, Survival Guide, 10, the word T-E-N-M-T-S-G for 10% discount. And we will include the links to Sonia's website and also the discount code in our show notes. You can find those at our website, mtsgpodcast.com. And we mentioned that Dr. Lotto will be joining us over at the Therapy Reimagined 2020 virtual conference that's coming up September 25th, 26th. Yes. And we are super excited with all of the conference speakers that we're bringing out. Well, I guess we're not bringing them out, that we're bringing to your home or your phone or wherever <laughs> you're homes. going to be able to watch. Yes. <laughs> 
And until next time, I'm Kurt Woodhelm with Katie Renoy and Dr. Sonia Lott. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months.